it's over 9,000! Welcome, Super Elite Warriors, to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time. And I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. This is the beginning. You know, I'm almost getting used to you starting these podcast episodes at the worst possible times. Yeah, yeah. Meaning what? Meaning we're still fighting the occasional straggler as we survey the wreckage here, and you want to do the podcast talking about some monkey kid on a random planet out there in the universe and collecting Dragon Balls for wishes. Why aren't we looking for that planet instead of Earth? I don't question Lord Frieza. He probably has another team out looking for the Dragon Ball planet, since it has a Saiyan on it as well. He has been interested in getting them all back on planet Vegeta for distribution of new weapons to aid them on their missions. Okay, but look out! Yeah, my point remains, we're out here fighting off the occasional carbivore, Apulian, Arlian, or Frogface, and you're wanting to try to have a podcast. Well, it makes for decent listening, I think. Does it? Not sure, but I think it does, so we're doing it. Almost as if it were preordained and scripted to be this way. Instead of just while we're sitting around doing nothing. Heads up! Hey, you're warming up and getting into a groove. You know, it's been a while since I've had any kind of an actual fight. Even a fairly weak spar is getting my blood pumping. I may be a biologist, and seeing these dead Ventuvi, knowing we may have wiped out the race, is tough. But I am a fighter at heart, and it's good to get back to it a little bit. Yes! I knew the warrior and you would come out if we could just coax it just a little bit. Hang on. You didn't set up this whole invasion just for that, did you? Oh man, I wish. What a good idea. Whoa, watch your step. Why? What is it? See the little ripples forming on the ground right where you're about to step? Ventuvi blood can create wormholes. You might have fallen into a slipspace universe and been spaghettified or spat back out into a white dwarf star and incinerated. Or just teleported to, like, an old lady planet or something. Free to step in and find out. Hmm. Nah, I'll pass this time. But mark my words, I'll travel interdimensionally at some point. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. 
19, 20. Hey, I count 22. I think that's all of them. Come on. Where to? We're like 15 yards from the Ventuvi Cruiser I downed. I want to check that one out most, almost more than the Dreadnoughts. Inspecting your handiwork? Damn right. Listen, listeners, as we pick and scramble our way through the rubble of the destroyed buildings and begin to reach the edge of what was once a glorious city, let's tackle our discussion topic for the day, which for today is episodes 39, 40, and 41 of the original Dragon Ball anime. The episode titles are Mysterious Android 8, Horrifying Booyan, and The Fall of Muscle Tower. Boy, I wonder if Goku is going to win. <laughs> right? Way to blow it right in the title card. Uh, so yeah, episodes 30, 40, and 41 ended our last string of episodes with Ninja Murasaki letting out this gigantic Frankenstein-like monster out of a cage. And we learned that this is Android 8. Android 8, despite his appearance, is actually a pacifist and doesn't want to fight Goku. This, of course upsets Ninja Murasaki, and he tries to coax Aider into fighting Goku by way of holding his own body hostage with the bomb that's been implanted in his chest. Goku doesn't like this, breaks the remote for the bomb in Aider's chest, quickly defeat Ninja Murasaki, and they start to head up to the next level of the tower, but they are stymied when they encounter a weird maze-like structure on the next floor, that General White can sort of, like, manipulate the walls of in order to keep our intrepid heroes from finding the stairway to the next floor. After a lot of wasted time and running and killing a bunch of Red Ribbon Scrubs, our heroes eventually figure out what the deal is with this floor, and they manage to get around some of these moving walls to get to the stairway and eventually make it up to, the, to floor 5 of the tower. But as they do so, we learn that Floor 5, you can't actually get into. There's no entrances for it. The only place that where you could get to it from the stairs is just solid brick. There's nothing there. It's kind of weird that it has six floors because I think someone mentioned that it, earlier on in this arc that there's only five. But yeah, then but I also kind of wonder if maybe like it's a secret fifth floor due to who's going to be there and who we're going to talk about here shortly. But anyways, they skip past floor five. They get to floor six, which is the control room that General White's in. He tries to offer Goku a job because he's just defeated all of his best men. And why not hire the guy that just beat everyone else that you know? Um, but Goku obviously turns him down. White betrays them and drops them into the fifth floor. And we learn that the reason why it's completely enclosed is because there's a monster down there named Booyan. Goku tries to fight it and defeat it. Unfortunately... Bouillon's very, uh, I guess, marshmallowy in texture, we could say. Yeah. Um, and a lot of his punches and kicks just bounce off him completely unaffected. To get around this, I think it's Goku that figures this out, which is kind of surprising to me. But um, he decides to uh, blast a hole in the wall with his Kamehameha wave and let cold air into this floor of the tower, which causes the rubbery Bouillon to sort of freeze in place and become rigid, and then finally Goku's attacks are actually effective. Once Booyan's defeated, Aider and, and Goku get back up to the sixth floor with the power pole, back through the same trapdoor they came down in. There's a very quick scuffle. I think it's like one punch against General White. Uh, he goes down, and before Goku can finish him off, Aider, you know, says, whoa, well, hold on. You've already beaten him. There's no re You don't need to, like, 
you know, hurt him further. He's learned his lesson, but General White has not learned his lesson. And while they were talking and he was down on the floor, he found a gun and picked it up and hid it in his belt. Instead of continuing to beat White into a bloody pulp, Goku and Ader tell him to bring them to the village chief so that he can be rescued and they can leave. Uh, which he does without without much resistance. Once the village chief has been released from his cell, General White quickly takes the gun and uses it to take the village chief hostage, knowing that our heroes would not want to endanger the life of an innocent person. He tries to convince Ader to kill Goku, which Ader will not do because he's a pacifist. So instead, uh, once he fails to convince Ader to, to switch sides with him, uh, he tells Goku that you know if you do anything i'm going to kill this old man so goku says all right fine i'll do whatever you want just don't hurt the old man all right kid turn around turn your back towards me and as soon as he does blam shoots goku right in the back of the head everyone thinks he's dead it's a horrible day i can't believe our heroes died so early in this this series <laughs> <laughs> this sends ader into a rage where he essentially sends general white into orbit just like you know, if you've ever seen One Punch Man, like this is where it got its origins from. So Ader saves Village Chief. Village Chief learns, oh, wait, Goku's not dead. He's just unconscious. We just need to wake him up. They wake Goku back up, leave Muscle Tower, having saved the Village Chief, and they return to Snow's house for a little, a little, a nice little family dinner. And Ader finds a new home with the Village Chief and his wife. And that's pretty much it, yeah. I think. We're all done with Muscle Tower. Good riddance. Let's uh, let's delve into these episodes as we are wont to do. Uh, the whole point of this podcast, right? And we'll start with talking about Ader, Android 8. It's very obviously modeled after Frankenstein's monster. Uh, even when he's, when he's first introduced, there's a storm and lightning outside the tower to really, really make sure you're picking that up. <laughs> case it wasn't obvious <laughs> yeah again though he sub subverts expectations at least to an extent you, you know you'd think a caged up brute would be this monstrous beast ready to tear his enemies to pieces that's clearly the setup here when murasaki goes to release him but instead he's a pacifist he refuses to kill or even fight goku and this is actually though Somewhat similar to how the monster has been portrayed in media over the years, of just simply wanting to be allowed to live. The difference really is in the works of a lot of Frankenstein stories, this desire comes into direct conflict with those of human protagonists, or, you know, depending on how uh, heroic you view Dr. Frankenstein, antagonists. And then there's usually some kind of violent outburst from the monster as a result that actually winds up hurting an innocent and winds up, you know, he, he's portrayed as the monster then. Android 8 does not lash out in violence against anyone who could possibly ever be perceived as innocent and never in his own self-interest. It's never just because he wants to live. Uh, the existence of this android implies the existence of some heretofore unseen red ribbon army scientist who's creating these monsters and androids. This is an idea that'll be plumbed for some stories later on in the franchise, both canon and non-canon, if you care about such things. But yeah, there's there's like movie stories with, you know, more red ribbon army scientists and there's also red ribbon army scientists and things that show up 
in the manga and the actual anime. Given given how many androids they make, I'd be very curious to see what the budget for that department was. <laughs> Him being called Android 8 also kind of is due to some translation issues. In the Japanese, he's called Jinzo Ningen Hachigo. This translates somewhat very literally to man, man-made, denoted eight. <laughs> or less awkwardly as man-made person number eight. And more accurately as artificial man-made human number eight. Unfortunately, this just gets translated as Android for American viewers because Jinzo Ningen Hachigo, Android 8, like it, it actually, those mouth movements kind of are it takes like the same amount. So it's for the ease of translation and for ease of dubbing. But this denotion of Android implies that Ader, as Goku winds up calling him, and more on that in a moment, is not a Frankenstein monster who's his own conscious person created from the bodies of others sewn together, but merely a robot designed to look human. And that him looking like a Frankenstein monster was some sort of like conscious choice to make him look like that. This winds up being further convoluted by him having a bomb in his chest, which American viewers would definitely associate with a robot. And then even more so in later stories in the Z portion where Goku encounters actual androids. And these androids, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, are also in the Japanese called Jinzo Ningen. So even people with like a moderate Japanese proficiency could get tripped up and think that they're supposed to be the exact same thing because they have that same similar kind of title. So it's all a big mess and it's a little confusing, but the intention of Toriyama with Android 8 was that he was a man-made person and more like Frankenstein's monster than a robot. And Goku passes along to Ader part of his training from Roshi. Uh, it's okay to fight against those who would seek to do harm first, and we see this on display from Goku, especially as he never thinks for a second to fight Ader because despite his outward appearance, he's nonviolent, and so Goku will never attack someone who doesn't attack him first. Goku also seems even content with having had Murasaki defeated before the ninja threatens to kill Ader, at, wh at which point is finally when he punches Murasaki across the room. And, you know, Goku affecting other characters and, 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 and affecting change in those characters is something that we've touched on a lot before. But this particular encounter is a pretty important moment for Goku because up to this point, his battles have been largely internal. They're very Eastern in their ideals and goals of pushing yourself for the sake of your own betterment. Goku keeps this in his mind moving forward, definitely. He's always trying to get better, but it takes on more of a Western bent from now on. He begins seeking out stronger opponents to keep pushing himself and progress in a more quantifiable fashion. The bar against which he measures himself switches a little bit from simply measuring against who he was yesterday to also looking at others and his ability to defeat them. Uh, we see this mentality carry all the way through Super as Goku's constantly pushed by his mentors to better himself against an external standard like Vegeta or Frieza or Beerus or the fake out used with Manaka. And it's a shift from Roshi's teachings during Goku's initial Shugyo that he should not be concerned with winning or losing, but only with learning about his own limits and pushing himself. 
there's a danger in hewing too close to this Western idea, and we're likely going to delve deeply into that when we get to like Vegeta and how his main driving force and, and what is his main driving force essentially. It's this, right? It's the it's measuring yourself against others, right? right? Yeah. But luckily, Goku man- maintains at least a portion of his mentality in that mindset of his initial Shugyo of, of being more concerned with his own personal growth. Still, though, he is affected by this mentality as he's left the controlled tutelage of Roshi and entered into the real world. He can no longer truly afford to only care about his own limits when the lives of others are at stake. Also, on a more instinctual level, this idea of finding new opponents excites Goku and awakens his warrior's spirit. Dude likes to fight. This sort of violent pacifism, and yes, we realize that's an oxymoron, <laughs> but it's, it, it just kind of fits. Um, is that at the core of is is uh, at the core of a lot of journey to the west as well, uh, with Xuanzang wanting little to do with fighting and Sun Wukong seeking to achieve enlightenment through battle, despite both of them being Buddhist pacifists. It's also a heavy road to walk as you must shoulder the burden of the pain others cause and that you will be causing them. You have to understand what you're sacrificing in order to be justified in your actions. Yeah, and now remember, we said we would talk more about the nickname Ader. So, in the Japanese, Goku calls him Hachan. This is a combination of the Japanese word for Hachi, which is eight, and the honorific Chan, or Chan, which is used when speaking with younger friends. Does anyone call Goku, Goku-chan? or Bulma calls him San-kun, which, you know, dignifies, signifies that she perceives him as, like, an elder, kind of. But... I don't know if anyone calls him Chan, but that's like that's like your buddy who's your same age and you're both kind of young. Ader, then, is actually not that bad of an English approximation. It lets us know that Goku sees him as something of an equal and a friend right off the bat. You know, he, he gives him a nickname and a name that's not Android number eight or artificial man-made human. <laughs> it humanizes the artificial man and it immediately increases his bond with Goku. And that's Goku's true disarming power on display. In an instant, he can validate you as a person and make you feel totally accepted. Briefly, because this is a Toriyama work, there's some contrasts and clashing opposites. We have a number of contrasts here and it's off the charts when you just break it down. First, you have Ader, who is based on Frankenstein's monster. It's a creature who possesses... Frankenstein's monster, that is. Is a creature who possesses a childlike innocence, but the brain of a murderous psychopath, and is therefore prone to violent outbursts. While Ader himself is a creature created specifically for killing and violence, and instead chooses innocence and pacifism. He then befriends a child who is outwardly naive and innocent, but has within him violent tendencies and, if you remember the Uzaru form, a literal actual monster. What tangled webs Toriyama weaves. So It's impressive. <laughs> or it's, you know, it, it, it weird, <laughs> weirdly, it weirdly is impressive when you talk about things like the somewhat poetic symmetry of all of that while knowing that he just makes the edited sh- by lord frieza for our listeners safety up off the top of his head <laughs> I, I was just thinking to my head i'm like if he was probably listening to this podcast right now going well, i never really intended any of this <laughs> <laughs> i just thought it'd be cool if he fought frankenstein yeah I mean, 
but it but you know it, it has that layer of, of working to it and that's that's kind of impressive it, it gets us too into a philosophical discussion if you will of at what point violence is justified it's an interesting discussion to have right because that's it's actually something that comes up throughout this franchise really right sure especially I mean, it's, it's based on fighting Oh, and I would say, too, especially when we get into when Goku and Vegeta start to become a little more friendly, a little a little less Go- Vegeta solely focusing on fighting Goku again. He's always very critical of Goku for being too lenient, too naive, too passive, right? And not, you know, putting people down when he has the chance. Goku sticks to that idea of, you know, give people another chance and, you know, you don't have to kill someone to stop them and change them true and i also think i think that that the character of ader himself is also a good reminder of how i think that line is at different levels for different people for different reasons and that's why we can have a discussion like this in the first place honestly yeah yeah it's it's i mean it really is just i don't i honestly don't i don't know the answer and i don't even know what i think the answer is because i i even think i approach the question of at what point is violence justified different for each different scenario true and i i don't know that i call myself a pacifist but like i haven't been in a fight since i was in like 8th grade i've managed it, i managed to get through my school years with zero fights but me personally at what point is violence justified? Uh, I think it comes down to kind of a similar level of, of Ader here where, well, are, are innocent people being hurt? If innocent people are being hurt, I think that it's more important that you stop the person doing the hurt than it is worrying about whether you've hurt them or not. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think this does a re- like, I think Goku is a very good character for that or is he because <laughs> well I, so i mean you look at his his outlook his outlook in life and he's he's fairly innocent and naive and he can look at somebody like ader and it's not about you know oh he looks like a monster he must be dangerous it's just well i'm gonna wait and see what he does first and i'll make my decision from there where he's he's judging people on their actions as opposed to their appearance classic Toriyama another contrast it seems like Red Ribbon Army is more worried about looking tough as opposed to trying to be like a, a, a benevolent leadership they they just want that image of, of power and brutality yeah I guess I guess where Goku kind of gets more into the he's not hesitant to apply physical force I would say you know, no, but but he always looks for a reason, I think. Before. Right. Because, I mean, right. like, even if you think, like, way back to the very beginning of the show, Dinosaur Man flies off with Bulma. He doesn't even think to chase after them until she's like, hey, he's kidnapping me. Do something. <laughs> Doesn't he say to himself, like, oh, I didn't know she knew that guy or something like that? Yeah, like, <laughs> it's something crazy like that. It's 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 interesting because he's I, – I think the the him versus Vegeta thing gets less into – a little less into at what point is violence justified and more what level of violence is justified, right? Like, yeah. um, Goku is never super hesitant to fight against people who would seek to do harm to others. He is very hesitant to 
kill those people. Yeah, and and we can see a lot of examples of that, especially after this this interaction that he has with Ader. I mean, there's the whole like Piccolo Junior thing. There's you know Vegeta. There was an opportunity to kill him while he was still on Earth, and they let him go. Nappa he took out a commission but didn't kill, um, and, yeah. and told Vegeta to get him like medical help, and like the you know the list goes on from there. But yeah, like every almost every villain I think from this point on he he at least like tries to give a chance. Yeah, I think I think for, for the answer for Goku is physical violence physical violence is justified as a show of force as soon as another life is threatened in a real way. Threatened. Yeah. Th- that's the other thing. It has to be it has to be a threat from a point of ability to execute on said threat, right? Like if I was just like, oh, I'm going to beat up everyone you know, he would be like, mm, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, even even just the previous fight with Ninja Murasaki is a great example. Like, he doesn't even really take Murasaki as a credible threat until he threatens Ader. Right, right. So he, he that's his that's his answer, and I think that's, that's actually a pretty good answer. I, I think you'd have trouble finding anybody that wouldn't think, I mean, unless they were just straight up pacifist, like violence is always wrong, but. And then his his answer kind of continues a little bit to it's it's also acceptable up until because then there's there there's the question of when is it okay to start attacking someone and then it's when do you stop attacking someone right and right. his is once you have shown that you can that that you are their superior you stop yeah I could see that. And then that also plays into his his personal philosophy from earlier. He's not going to cheat to do it either. He's gonna he's gonna beat you at your own game, and he's gonna beat you so bad that you have to recognize that he's the superior one. Right. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't like to cheat. That yeah speaks into we talked about this on like was it our second episode right when we talked all about is Goku overconfident? Yeah. That it 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 goes all the way back to him you know giving Cell a sensu bean like he doesn't want anyone to ever have an excuse yeah all all these are the kinds of philosophical discussions that that we need to have more of (laughs) (laughs) okay then how about where does (laughs) here's here's one where does Ader rank for you as a frankenstein's monster adaptation oh 10 out of 10 (laughs) best boy (laughs) it's as a frankenstein monster it really is just a visual callback mostly i think right yeah although there is that interesting i never really thought about until we started delving into this that he is kind of an interesting inversion the frankenstein monster was designed by dr frankenstein to be like a way for man to get around death essentially and and an ubermensch right like because he was supposed to use be a collection of all the best things or something like that yeah and he was supposed to have used like a i don't know a a nobel peace artist something brain or whatever right like a like a intelligent person (laughs) and instead he gets instead he gets the abby normal do not use his brain abby normal (laughs) but so he's he's a the frankenstein monster is a creature designed for peace that ends up being violent due to a flaw Ader is a creature designed for violence that due to a flaw in that creation 
that attempt ends up being a pacifist. It, it, it yeah, it, it, I never thought about that. I always just was like, oh, he's just a visual. He's just a jokey reference to Frankenstein. Yeah. I think it's a little deeper than that. Yeah. But no, he's not like, I'm, I would never put him on like a list of like best Frankenstein's monsters. Yeah. I mean, as far as like being an actual adaptation of Frankenstein's monsters, it's, he's not a great one other than like visually, because like you're saying, he's, he's not, he's not the same thing. He's, he's the exact opposite. Yeah. So I guess, I guess a zero out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's pretty good discussion on Aider. Let's move on. We don't have a whole lot left because there's, there's ultimately not that much. I don't want to say there's nothing interesting about general white, but Remember, we've been kind of talking him through as various pieces of what we are seeing in Goku's battles throughout Muscle Tower are reflections of him. So there's not much left to talk about with White, but let's talk about White. So sort of tangentially to White, I, I, we, we tricked you. <laughs> We're still going to talk about White, but we got to talk about something else really quick first. So let's talk about the Blob Monster Bouillon. Bouillon represents the hidden ugliness of White's mind, disgusting and vile and best left in the dark where no men see. The bones of many dead men lie around his feet, providing chilling context for the dark horrors General White has the capacity to inflict. The name Bouillon is a, pl- a play on Buyo Buyo, which is meant to be a descriptor of like soft and flubbery things. But why inject a monster all of a sudden? Because Toriyama. The man loves monsters and especially kaiju, but we're no longer in the East where kaiju roam. We're in Western society, and so Toriyama chooses a Western Hollywood-inspired monster. There's a little bit of similarity here with the final battle in the Game of Death as well, uh, at least a little bit anyway. In that movie, Bruce Lee fights Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at the end, and they're very much foil characters. Kareem is tall and his style capable of countering Bruce's small, fast style of no style. Buyan is large and able to counter Goku's rock, paper, scissors style with soft counters. Ultimately, he's defeated like his Hollywood counterpart by being frozen. Yeah. And that Hollywood counterpart, just because uh, we forgot to put it in our notes, that's the blob, right? Yes. Um, and that is, I, I like the blob. I, I think it's, it's, I hold it on the same level as like zombies. There's, there's a good way to do it and there's a bad way to do it. And when it's done well, it's really, really good. And when it's not done well, it's really, really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> the original blob is like it's weird. The original blob is I, I'll, I'll preface this by saying my favorite blob movie is the one from the eighties. That that's the one I was thinking of too, with the uh, outrageous special effects. Those were so good. Yes, the original is. Not a bad movie. It's a little dull, but the thing that's really interesting about it and why I would still say like it's it's a pretty good movie and I think it's a pretty important one is it was a very early independent science fiction film. You didn't get a lot of those in the 50s and you especially didn't get a lot of those in the 50s that were made in color. And so for this little indie, and I don't want to say little, little indie, because I'm sure it had some budget to it, but like for this independent movie that wasn't backed by a studio to delve into science fiction and be a hit, 
in a very long roundabout way paves the way for a little guy that we know named George Lucas to Never heard of him before to independently create a science fiction movie. You've probably never heard of that one, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's completely unfamiliar to me. Never heard that name before. Um, but no, I mean, that's 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 kind of what the original blob is. It's like an OK movie. It's a little slow, um, but the colors do really pop in it. And I enjoy it for what it is. And it's also very important. But the 80s one is baller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so keeping keeping with some foil characters and opposites, the village elder is the opposite of white. He's small, balding, he's thin. He's everything that white never wants to be, which is why he's been locked in the dark of a tower that represents white's inner self. White is trying to hide away any semblance of goodness he may once ever have had. Uh, and then we get to white's offer of a job to Goku. We mentioned that is very bond villain. He Absolutely. even uses a trap door, just like a bond villain. And specifically again, a scene that appears in you only live twice. The bond film that was set partially in Japan and helped inspire the, we think the creation of Murasaki. So then ultimately when Ader punches white into oblivion, uh, <laughs> He is, metaphorically speaking, consumed by his own icy heart. Uh, uh. Nice. Very poetic. To pull us back just a tad to Ader and tie us all together here, this is the part where Ader shows how Goku has changed him. He's willing to react to White seemingly killing Goku, showing that he's internalized Goku's ideal of being willing to attack those who would do harm to others. Again, this is an inversion of the Frankenstein monster and prone to violence against innocence for his own self-interest. Ader attacks an evil person to protect another person. Fun fact here, before we, as we're about to more or less wrap up, in the original Japanese broadcast, there was a quick preview at the end of this for Curse of the Blood movie. Blood, blood movies. <laughs> for Curse of, the, Curse of the Blood Rubies, the movie we did a commentary on a while back. But so that wraps us up more or less on Muscle Tower and what is considered the uh, Red Ribbon Army saga, even though the Red Ribbon Army has not been remotely defeated and are about to be the main antagonists for another, I don't know, 20 episodes more. Something I'm not like even that. sure, but it's a batch. It's chunk. What are your what are your overall thoughts on the Muscle Tower arc? It's for me, I think it's might be my favorite favorite part of the red ribbon army saga we we got to stop agreeing on this stuff so much because <laughs> because it is it i don't know it has that like something about the way it's structured you just do feel like it's continually progressing yeah uh it never seems to get sidetracked there's not yeah there's like little fake outs but they're always those things that are just at the end of an episode to like is Goku dead at the end of this episode when he gets hit with the blade from Murasaki and then he's immediately fine and you know he's going to be fine, right? It's yeah. just that it's just that thing to to drive intrigue for like tune in next week and find out, you know. But there's like there's more continual progression here and there's not like just things done to to keep padding the the runtime so much. So 
I, I have a theory as to why I think this particular arc in the Red Ribbon saga is so effective. And I, I also think it ties back a little bit to some of the stuff that we saw in the uh, the World Martial Arts Tournament. We're getting a lot more context and backstory for all of these other characters that are involved in this muscle tower. So like, like you were saying, all these floors and all these different things that represent aspects of General White as a person, as a character, gives us insight into like his motivations as a character. Uh, we learn more about him. It makes him harder to forget. And this is something that Toriyama really started to, to hammer on in the World Martial Arts Tournament when you look at characters like Nam. There were other fighters in the tournament, but the one that most people – that sticks in their mind is, is Nam, like Lanfan, Giren. Nobody really pays too much attention to them because we don't, we don't get any info on them. The first time we see them would be like you know when they're actually having their fight, and so their fights are a little bit less compelling that way. But when you know what Nam's motivations are versus what, say, Goku's motivations are when they first face off – it kind of helps raise the stakes a little bit, and I think we're getting that in a more, I guess, sto like story format. Like the the story itself is what's building the tension, as opposed to like an actual one on one fight. And we're getting that context as he's progressing through the tower, so that the tower itself is sort of like building up to General White. And then there's that classic, again, Toriyama bait and switch, where you're thinking, oh, this guy is going to be tougher than all of these other dudes put together and then goku takes him down in one punch yeah <laughs> yeah it, it it does a it does a good job of building the tension and then yeah you i you, i don't ever feel like oh i wish they had actually had a fight you know like so that's that's how you do that in a in a satisfying way right well, and i also think how how they handled the con the direct conflict between white and goku is interesting as well because up to this point, almost everyone we've seen Goku go up against, he just beats them flat out in a fight. And this is the first one – well, one of the first. Actually, technically, I guess uh, Master Carrot would have been the first one the, to use somebody uh, – like another innocent person as like a bargaining chip to keep Goku from kicking his butt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they've, they've, they essentially end run around his strength and they use an actual weakness. And then I think actually, if I remember right, White grabs his tail at one point. Yes. As yes. well. So he's he's more of the devious villain that, that would wait for you to expose a weakness and exploit it, which is not really something he's come up against yet. Most of the villains he's come up against to this point, it's been, oh, they're really strong. I don't know if I'm going to be able to beat them, but we all know it's Goku. He's going to win. Right, yeah. And yeah, it is, like, I think that's another piece of what works better about this than the rest of the Red Ribbon Army stuff is this is Goku's first encounter with unscrupulous villainy, you yeah. know? People who can't be reasoned with, people who can't be bargained with, people whose minds can't be changed and they can't be saved, they don't get redemptive arcs. When When this happens... I don't, it's not exactly the same for General Blue, and actually, General Blue himself is a is a really interesting character. We're going to talk about him a lot because he's the main antagonist, and he may or may not uh, have certain markers in his performance that may or may not lead to representation. 
if if you know. But what you I'm know, it's at. it's um, '80s anime, so it may not be the best representation. Yeah, but no, that just makes him a like a f- kind of fun character and an interesting one. But then you know you kind of get get it again with with Commander Red of these these people who are more than Goku's match in terms of how ruthless they're willing to be, but not even kind of his match physically. Right. But this at least is like, this feels like a change of what we've, and then I just feel like it, and and maybe I'll reevaluate that as we get into the, the general blue stuff and then the commander red stuff, but it feels like it just kind of keeps going. I also um, think it kind of hits a really nice balance point between the early episodes where it's very whimsical and then the tournament arc where it's just it's just straight fighting all the time this seems to be and it, it is the first major arc after after the tournament but it seems to be like they realized oh we don't want to just straight do like fighting tournaments all the time let me let me pull that back a little bit and rope back in some of these other story elements that I was going for and try and see if I can find a fun balance somewhere in the middle and yeah. I, I think this one found it honestly Yes, I agree. I, I like the Muscle Tower stuff. So we'll see. We'll see if, if we end up reevaluating uh, our thoughts on the furthering Red Ribbon Army stuff as we go a little further. But I think uh, next next we're going to delve into our next topic of discussion is going to be talk, doing what we do when we reach the end of sagas or arcs, which really this kind of is and isn't it's it's built that way in terms of the anime so we're going to treat it that way we're going to do a comparison of the manga and the anime for these batch of episodes and really put a bow on the muscle tower stuff and then we'll be ready to move on and get into general blue man this thing is impressive and we probably just ensured their extinction If the last remnants of their species was ten of them under control by planet invaders, then they were already extinct. Damn, but you can justify anything with your lines of reasoning, can't you? Again, when you've been stranded on Lhasa Alcane with nothing but your recruit, uh, reclaimed meals from your ship's wreckage... How many times have you been stranded on a strange planet and had to resort to less than savory methods for your next meal? Oh, who keeps track of that kind of thing? So much about you has become clear over these months, not just your skin. They don't call me Jelly the Translucent for nothing, remember? I also remember that they don't really call you that. Well, they should, even though my entire race is like this. Listeners, we're standing in the shadow of the original Ventuvi, downed by my Zeri Blast. Even knowing now that it was some sort of mind-controlled aberration, whatever the carbivore inside it did to disguise their presence retained the beauty of this magnificent creature. Until you punched a hole in it and blew its innards across the entire plan. Yeah, but it's brought that mildly calming glow back to things. What is that? It's coming from... Inside the Ventuvi. Something's coming out of it. Something with a power level of at least a hundred thousand. Oh boy, this is about to get fun. We'll take our leave of you here, listeners, on the precipice of battle against an unknown foe. It's humanoid, whatever it is. Maybe a branch race? 
Will we perish in battle against this new enemy? Will we be able to push ourselves to new limits? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership.